0: We'll Welcome back to the Gutsiest Brands Podcast, the show built around understanding the DNA of gutsy brands by talking to the world's most innovative brand leaders. At GutCheck, we make it our business to understand brands, and over the years, we've learned how to identify a gutsy brand. Gutsy brands are empathetic, pioneering, bold, and they demonstrate the power of and. They see opportunity where others force trade-offs. When we find a brand leader that embodies gutsiness, we invite them to the show to explore what makes them so successful, what drives them every day, and to get their perspective on other gutsy brands out in the world. Gutcheck CRO, Jess Gedeke, had the chance to speak with Tracy Warner-Hallema, the CEO of Vital Proteins, a division of Nestle's Health Sciences Group. Vital Proteins creates ingestible collagen products. They believe that feeling our best, looking our best, and performing at our best starts from within. Tracy has spent 20 years in the technology industry and has been with Vital Protein since 2014. With her leadership, the company has grown year after year, seeing over 100% growth in 2021. In today's episode, Jess and Tracy discuss building a brand using digital tactics, how leveraging personal experience can help you keep a consumer perspective, how being in the right place at the right time helped Vital proteins create a brand new category, and why having strong female leadership is so important. And yes, they do talk about Jennifer Aniston. Kick back and enjoy another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast.
1: Tracy, I am so so excited to be talking with you today. I truly believe that you are a bright light in our industry, and I've been so excited for this conversation to, to have you on Gutsiest Brands podcast. So welcome. Thank you so
2: much, Jess.
1: i thrilled to be here. Thanks so much for including me. Oh, of course, of course. So tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to really deep dig into your background. But first, just tell our guests who you are.
2: So I am currently the CEO of Vital Proteins. Vital Proteins is a collagen company. You may have heard of us. Um, So we're about a nine-year-old company. We became a unicorn brand uh, after six years. And we were partially acquired by Nestle Health Science in 2020 and fully acquired by Nestle Health Science at the end of 2021. Um, We count Jennifer Aniston as our chief creative officer and I think most people know our brand because of the iconic blue packaging.
1: It is indeed iconic blue. And I'm sure that all of your company swag uh, gets to honor that blue as well. So it's I'm jealous, bad. a little jealous. Um, so, well, awesome. Thanks again for being here. So I, what I'd love to do is start with you personally. Can you tell us about your very first job in your life? Like the the first job you got paid money for? Oh, okay. All right. So
2: not my first professional job, my first job. <laughs> Way back um, yeah. I was a waitress at a diner. So my dad's um, friend owned the diner and I was 14 growing up in Northern Michigan. And my dad felt it was really important that I had a strong work ethic. Um, I think, you know, the Midwest work ethic uh, really is interwoven into really everything that I do and even how I parent. Um, So that was really instilled in me when I was 14. So Uh, I was initially a dishwasher. I showed up for the first day on the job, the waitress, um, who had the shift called in sick and they said, guess what? You said you wanted to wait tables. Now you are, uh, which was a little bit overwhelming for a 14 year old kid. I think about, I've got a 15 year old daughter and, you know, would she be able to step into, uh, that opportunity? And, you know, I'm not sure if she could or not, but Uh, anyway, it taught me a lot about putting the customer first and I had that job all throughout high school. And even when I came home in the summers, uh, during college, I would go back and work at the diner. You know, I think it really did teach me about having a strong
1: Midwest work ethic. For sure. And a little bit of hustle, right? That's, that's a big part of the the service industry. And a lot of the people that I find to be the biggest hustlers at work have that in their background. So that's really interesting to learn about you. So as you know, for Gutsy Brands, we like to honor brands that lead with empathy, that have a truly genuine and intentional priority of understanding the human experience and brands that really put themselves in other people's shoes. And when I heard your story, you were literally in the shoes of someone who had had an injury and a certain product really helped you recover. So I'd love for you to tell us your story of your first exposure to the product and the benefits of collagen and the origin of vital proteins.
2: Yeah. Awesome. Um, thrilled to share this experience. So Uh, The founder, uh, Kurt Seidensticker, and I were friends from the technology background. I saw him at a networking event and he said, hey, I've got a business idea. I really want your input on this business idea. Uh, It's ingestible collagen. Take two scoops a day. Put it in your coffee every morning. You won't even realize it's there. And I'm like, okay. So he said, but it's very important that you take it every single day. If you take it every single day, you will notice a difference within a month. So, all right, I got you. I'll take it every day. And um, I was in my early 40s at the time. Uh, I was an avid CrossFitter and, you know, suburban mom trying to gain fitness, going toe-to-toe with former NCAA athletes uh, who were in their 20s probably wasn't the right, um, you know, fitness endeavor for me, but I'm very competitive, um, as anyone in my company would tell you or any of my friends. And I decided to kind of go toe-to-toe with these young athletes, went into the CrossFit Open Games, and um, undoubtedly injured my shoulder. So I had a shoulder labrum tear. I went through six months' worth of rehab trying to get mobility back in my shoulder. And um, at the time I was an executive in the tech world, it was a pretty annoying injury for me because I traveled a ton. And every time I get on a plane, I'd have to have someone else help me with my bag. Um, so I didn't have full, full mobility in my shoulder. And after taking vital proteins for two and a half weeks, um, I went to reach up and get a platter for dinner. I was making dinner for my family and I'm like, wait a minute, is this my good shoulder? Or is it my bad shoulder? And then I realized that I had mobility in both of my shoulders And I wasn't doing anything different besides taking collagen, taking vital proteins, collagen. So I immediately called Kurt and I said, hmm, try to play it a little bit close to the vest. I think, you know, you might be onto something here and how can I help out? So that was the beginning of vital proteins. And I was such a avid fan. I saw how vital proteins literally changed my life. And I know it sounds a little bit dramatic, but um, it enabled me to have full mobility again, because when you're in your early 40s. You don't think about not having, you know, the ability to move. There was a deep rooted passion for me and empathy for anyone that is going through, whether that's, you know, a surgery, whether that's, you know, um, uh, celiac disease, any type of uh, challenge that someone may go through where collagen could help serve as a
1: conduit to better wellness. Mm-hmm. So, how does that human centricity play out in how you think about your innovation and how you think about your branding? Like, do you keep that person that you're helping at the heart of it? Yeah, we have a couple of different
2: um, you know, kind of profiles that we innovate products for. Um, you know, I would say that we've always really resonated with the millennial consumer. And that millennial consumer happened to be you know, the folks that kind of first really latched onto the Vital Proteins brand. Um, So, you know, we always kind of think from a consumer mindset first and foremost. So what are the functional challenges, health challenges that consumers are facing? What are we facing as an organization? I remember there there was a guy who joined our organization pretty early on and he had carpal tunnel So he played in a band on the weekends and he also was um, a gamer and then he was a software developer for us. So he was constantly, you know, working with his wrists. And I said, you know, hey, Dan, you should probably like up your collagen consumption. Let's see what happens. And, you know, sure enough, it aided and his carpal tunnel uh, was mitigated. So I feel like in the early days, We really leverage our own experiences as consumers first. And because the core of our founding team were not classically trained CPG folks, we were able to look at it from a different vantage point. Because I feel like a classically trained CPG person would immediately dig into the data and what is the syndicated data telling me? What is the white space analysis? What is the panel coming back with? And we really approached it as a consumer first mindset.
1: And that's interesting. And I'd love for you to talk more about that tech background. You know, one of the things that we like to talk about in terms of gutsy brands is this power of and, which is finding opportunity where others might force compromise. And one way that I've seen that play out is entrepreneurial companies employing big company tactics and vice versa. And especially now that Vital Proteins is part of Nestle. I'm just, I'm interested in how do you, what do you tap into from that tech background and how you lead the brand today? And what does that look like to broader Nestle?
2: Well, it's funny because it's evolved a little bit. Like in the early days, um, I know we talked about this uh, previously, you know, we always used to call ourselves a digital marketing company that happened to sell CPG products. Um, And that was our approach. Like we wanted to be digital first. So initially we didn't go into retail. We launched on vitalproteins.com and we launched on Amazon. And we really dug into knowing who our consumer was. We did a ton of surveys. If you fill this out, you get 25% off. And we really felt like we tapped into that consumer um, by deploying digital tactics. And once we kind of figured out who our consumer was, then we set up our distribution strategy. So the first retailer we went into was in 2016. Um, So again, it was a little bit of a a backward approach that I think most CPG companies would have um, always went into retail first and then tried to establish brand identity and then go into um, a dot-com experience. So we wanted to build the brand first. We wanted people to be educated and activated consumers. And then once they were activated, then they would go into retailers to buy our products. And it was definitely a, a different mindset. Retailers weren't weren't um, familiar with that approach, but they loved it because people were coming in saying, "Hey, where's the vital proteins?" So they didn't have the onus of building the brand. We had the onus of building the brand. Um, now, as I think about fast forward, uh, you know, kind of what that digital experience is today. The early days, it was a moat for our brand, and we worked with influencers and. You know, we had a social media presence um, on Instagram almost immediately, long before people were on Instagram. And now I think it became the roadmap for other brands to emulate. And I would say that, you know, no longer is social media and influencer our moat. Now we have to think about what our next generation moat is as a company. Um, We still are very Amazon forward, we do a lot with Amazon and we do it a lot digitally. It's just, Evolved a little bit, and it's more, um, you know, CRM, affiliate marketing. It's a little bit more intricate than it was in the early days.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so interesting to think back to those days before you know digital marketing and social media was as big of a deal as it is today. What are some of the risks you took at that time? Did did you know were there some places where it was a fail fast? Oh, we fail. I mean, fail forward was
2: our motto. We had kind of two big mottos in the early days. One was we sprint. Um, We've since kind of modified that because I think it really forces burnout in this day and age. Um, So that's no longer a motto. But the second motto was fail forward. And we were okay with failing. Um, We had experienced failure a lot coming from the tech world. and, And that's the iterative agile development cycle is all about finding the point of failure and then learning from it, and then reiterating it, and then finding the point of failure. So that was a process in how we approached the company. So we were fine with failure. We learned from it. Um, I would say one of our early lessons was um, Kurt, our our founder, he really thought that Vital Protein should be a paleo running company. And we had partnered very early on with um, Melissa Urban of Whole30, and Mark Sisson and you know just folks that like kind of came out of the paleo um paleo movement if you will and um he thought that the whole mission statement should really be around you know kind of maintaining that sports performance as you age and that certainly is a theme of what we do but everything that we were hearing from these surveys back from our consumers and this was probably before we could afford syndicated data um was saying that people were buying collagen for hair skin and nail benefit. So, I really pushed him and said, we need to enter the beauty market. And um we had an opportunity to pitch Target. In his mind, we should be in the protein powder section, which at Target is called OTC over the counter. And in my mind, I said no no no, we have an opportunity to be in the beauty section. Doesn't mean that we can't go and pitch OTC, but we have to take this advantage. Because if they're willing to build a category around ingestible beauty and we're the only brand in their ingestible beauty category, this is going to be an inflection point and a growth growth tipping point for vital proteins. And that was in 2017. It was March of 2017. We didn't really have the right products to pitch target because the price point was a little more elevated then. And I think our products were a little too architected. We had to reformulate our products and our flavorings to make it more appropriate for target. So that was a big um, inflection point
1: in, you know, taking a risk and being okay. If we failed. It's a, it's a compelling example because at the same time you're creating this new category, right? So this ingestible beauty and I'd love for you to, if you can pull on a story from from those kind of selling conversations, but how did you paint that picture of what that future aisle or store section could be? Like, tell us about how you built conviction around that really bold idea at the time.
2: Yeah. Well, thankfully, we had a very progressive buyer, um, Ashley Kamara. Uh, she's no longer with Target. She's actually uh, working for a brand. But um, she had a vision of what ingestible beauty could be. So, you know, sometimes I think it's, um, being in the right place at the right time. And that was exactly a moment of being in the right place at the right time at Expo West in March of 2017. So she came up to the booth and we, we had a very engaging conversation and initially our beauty college in line was supposed to be, Sold into spas. And, you know, again, uh, an elevated, even our formulations were, you know, cucumber aloe with marine collagen. So it was a little um, different type of consumer that we eventually found. But Ashley was open minded. And I think, you know, one of my mantras in life is always be learning and be curious. And she had that curiosity. She wanted to learn more. She wanted to see, you know, how would this fit? the target guest. So bring it to me as if I'm a target guest. And uh we we had about 10 days to turn around the pitch of our lives. Um I remember canceling spring break with my family so we could work on this pitch and we went into target and we completely changed the palette. So the beauty college in line was a little more muted, it was pastels and we really amped it up and made it hot pink and you know like a poppy bubblegum pink as well and um a, a stronger um lavender that was a little more popular that that connected with the rest of our product family so if you had a vital proteins um blue collagen peptide next to it it would anchor in the color palette so we did we did a lot to really think about that um, target consumer And instead of going in with lavender lemon and cucumber aloe, we went in with strawberry lemon. So we made it more accessible for mass. Um, There were a ton of trips into um, every target that we could go into and really think about the experience. And if this lived within the beauty set, what should it look like? You know, what should our planogram look like? What what could we do from um, an on-shelf education standpoint? Because, again, the consumer would not be accustomed to ingestible beauty. So we really leaned into education um, at shelf in order to connect with that consumer. And it was a risk. And the first year, um, our our sales were probably 1.8 million at Target, which is pretty good for a couple of SKUs. And then by year two, we were 12 million year 3 we were over 20 million and now it's a much bigger book of business as well
1: incredible and and that's that's the description of the unicorn brand right that's what you mean by that and um it's it's so phenomenal to hear the thinking that it took at the time and the framing that it took at the time to paint this picture of a future that was not yet realized. So um, I love that story and it gives so much more meaning to when I see Vital in the store now. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Another aspect of Getsy Brands that we like to honor is standing behind bold ideas, even if not popular at the time. And I was reflecting on uh, the proportion of your leadership team that's female, which I believe is about 70%. And that includes traditionally male roles like chief revenue officer, chief legal officer, chief technology officer, and of course, CEO. Why is this still a bold idea to have a primarily female leadership team? And what challenges do you still face as a female CEO?
2: Hmm. Well, it's interesting because when I entered into corporate America in the 1990s, um, things were very different back then. And I was regularly mistaken for someone's executive assistant. And, you know, I think that providing space and providing um, a, a career path for females is so important. Um, I'm a mom of two girls and, um, my oldest is a sophomore at the university of Michigan. My youngest is a sophomore in high school. And for me, it's all about paying it forward because if I pay it forward for the current generation of leaders, um, who will eventually become CEO, then that next generation is going to pay it forward for my daughters. So I, I think that especially in CPG. When you think about CPG brands out there, like the majority of products that are purchased are purchased by women. So, you know, it, it's always interesting to me going back and watching old episodes of Mad Men and you had Don Draper and all these guys trying to like figure out how to market lipstick or market tampons. And, you know, it was like, talk to Peggy, right? Okay. <laughs> um so, you know, I, I think now, in um two thousand and twenty two, what do modern CPG companies look like? There should be strong female leadership because, again, females are the ones doing the primary purchasing of consumer products. um whether that be groceries for the home, whether that be beauty products, whether that be um you know, even garbage bags and paper towels off Amazon. Uh, So fundamentally, I think that modern companies should have um, leaders that look like consumers. So again, we can go back to that consumer first mentality.
1: Sure, sure. It's absolutely true. Um, And what challenges do you face today, either in continuing to build that female leadership um, generation or yourself as a CEO? I mean, I
2: think that there's always, you know, a sense of imposter syndrome, no matter what role you're in, because if we're truly being honest with ourselves and and empathetic, like no one gave me a playbook on how to be a CEO. Um, I was a pretty good chief revenue officer, um, spending, you know, 20 some years in sales in some format or another, either as an individual contributor or as a sales leader, but um, you know, crossing over into general manager management as president, and then now eventually as CEO, you know, you're you're still making sure that you know, do I have the wherewithal? Do I have um, all the data that I need in order to make the best decision for the company? And at times, you second guess yourself. And and when I think about you know how I can be better moving forward you know it is i'm really working on you know the empathy aspect of um of being a leader and i'm really working on the psychological safety aspect so um you know 5 years ago people weren't talking about psychological safety um boom we enter into a global pandemic people are working from home uh there's a thing called burnout there's a thing called you know the great resignation i hear now it's quiet quitting Um, So I think, you know, in order to provide that safety and that authentic leadership, I think right now people crave authentic leadership. They want leaders that are accessible. They want leaders that are um, not afraid to fail, not afraid to acknowledge failure um, and, you know, leaders that are real people. And I think that, you know, maintaining that, level of empathy maintaining psychological safety so everyone feels good about coming into work and um you know really moving the brand forward along with managing the expectations of the world's largest food and beverage company which of course are going to be revenue related and profitability related so i think it is a fine balance and and that's really what i'm challenged with on a day to day basis like how do i how do i be the best leader I can for my organization? And how do I how do I run the best company for Nestle Health Science?
1: I really relate to what you're saying right now. And I think that's another embodiment of the power of and, because we have to manage the numbers. We have to manage the business, but being accessible as leaders, being authentic, showing vulnerability, it takes a lot of emotional effort to to be that type of leader but it's absolutely critical so i'm just curious if you have any tips or things that you employ at vital proteins with your staff um that that help along that that leadership journey
2: well i just brought in one of my professors um i completed a ceo program at the university of california berkeley high school of business um this past summer and i brought one of um, my my beloved professors that i just loved his sessions and the book was called becoming a change maker and it speaks all about anyone can be a change maker you can be an intern you can be an executive you can be an introvert you can be an extrovert you can be male you can be female um but what can you do as a human being to affect change for your company for your you know your personal relationships and i think you know in my frame of mind you know one thing that has served me well is a sense of curiosity and always be learning. So bringing Alex in to speak to my team and everyone got a copy of his book and, you know, really kind of encouraging thought sometimes, you know, we work within the four walls of vital proteins and we get a little myopic in our brand. So thinking a little bit greater outside of, you know, the four walls of vital proteins and what they can do to become better human beings and better leaders will benefit all of us, you know, how we can figure out how to, um, rest and restore so we can come back more re-energized to work. Um, like that's another tactic with my team.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you, you know, you deploy that human centricity in everything that you do. And I think it's, it's really inspiring. So thank you for, for being that leader and for sharing that perspective with us. So I know that people are going to want to hear about Jennifer Aniston's work with your brand. She's your chief creative officer. I'm I'm curious. What does why does Jen have such an authentic relationship with your brand? Like, what is it about the brand, the product, and her that is has so much magic? Well, first of all, she's an
2: authentic user of Vital Proteins. So in 2015, her functional doctor said you should start using collagen. Here's a brand that I use that I know is a clean label. It's been tested for, you know, everything and, um, you should start taking it. So in 2015, when most people had never heard of vital proteins and certainly, you know, maybe didn't even know of collagen, she became an authentic user of vital proteins. Um, and then in 2016, there was an article that was published and it was People Magazine, most beautiful woman in the world. It was Jennifer Aniston. And in the article, it talked about healthy aging and what she's doing to look so amazing at the time she was in her late forties. And she talked about a collagen peptide that she uses and that it gives her skin a glow. Um, We didn't know her. We certainly weren't paying her and there was a call out with a picture of a vital proteins canister and uh i think there was i don't know you know maybe 10 people that worked at vital back then and we were like holy crap i can't believe that jennifer aniston used our product and it was the inflection point um of so many things at vital It became part of our pitch deck to every single retailer. So even though we didn't have measures of success in retail at that point in time, we were able to parlay that into why they absolutely had to have Vital Proteins on on shelf because if Jennifer Aniston's using it, everyone's gonna wanna use it. Um, It parlayed our work with attracting higher quality, higher caliber influencers. And um, it spurred on a lot of uh, innovation as well as education around smoothies. So um, we did a whole slew of like Jennifer Aniston's favorite um, anti-aging smoothies. And uh, it was really a catalyst for growth for our company in the early days. And I think, um, you know, we continue to have, you know, some level of relationship with her Um, But realistically, as, you know, a 10 and 20 and $50 million company, we really couldn't afford a celebrity like Jennifer Aniston. Um, So our company continued to grow. Obviously, her um, media presence continued to grow. She hadn't done a lot with social media. And then in 2019, she decided to get on Instagram. And if you remember correctly, um, she broke Instagram because she obtain more than 20 million followers in one day and after she was on Instagram and for us we really built our brand off of Instagram um so we kind of felt like all right you know and we had we had talked with our venture capital firm who um had worked with other celebrities and you know other names were uh kind of toyed around with but we always kept coming back to jennifer Aniston because if there's one celebrity that really embraces healthy aging and agelessness and, and mitigating, you know, the whole process of aging. Um, there's no one better than Jennifer Aniston. And um, so then, you know, sure enough, we reached out, she got on Instagram, we were about ready to start an acquisition process. And we felt like it would be a really good storytelling opportunity when we met with Strategics. That we're looking at our company. If we had a relationship with Jennifer Aniston, um, you know, how much more sticky would that be with our consumer? How much, you know, how much leverage could we get with new placements? So, um, you know, that was really the impetus of the early relationship. How it kind of forged in the middle, and then now, um, at this point in time, we're innovating products with Jen. Jen's always been a longtime believer of health and wellness. And even back in the eighties, when, you know, we were all putting Rice Krispie bars in our lunch pail, she was not, Um, she was eating really healthy. Um, You know, she always says that she was raised by a hippie mother and um, you know, eating clean was important, you know, even when she was a teenager. So I think that aspect of, you know, what was important to her from you know, a functional um, health perspective um, really played out well with who we were as a brand and how we came together from a partnership standpoint. And she's got great ideas too. Our new Jennifer Aniston bars, um, we've got one with Lion's Mane and Reishi, um, all about, you know, kind of focus and, um, you know, clarity and even like a sense of Zen. So she brings very good ideas to the
1: table that we act upon. I bet. I bet those ideation sessions with her are really fun. Yeah, they are. Oh, that's so cool. And you're her boss. That's pretty cool. Technically, yes. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. And it is, I mean, that story, <clears throat> that story shows it is such an authentic connection to the brand. It's not superficial. She was an early right. user and, you know, subscribes to a lot of the mantras that, that you have as a brand. So it's fantastic marriage. So in terms of your leadership style as you mentioned you have a sales background so you were an individual contributor sales leader among other uh, other trajectories and I'm just curious being a, a sales background myself what characteristics do you think help you in your job today are there some some points of view that you tend to lean into or you know metrics that you manage that you think set you apart because of your sales background
2: um for sure i think I mean, I might be a little bit biased, but when you think about the path to CEO, I think you know you have one path that comes from the financial background and you've got a path that comes from the commercial background. And then you may have a path that comes from marketing or innovation, but it's usually commercial or financial. And I think the commercial mindset, which would be the sales mindset, um, is really focused on growth. So I know that deep down, like the core of who I am, My true north has always been doing things that have never been done before, creating revenue models that were never there before. Um, You know, when we first met with our VCs, they said, what's your dream retailer? I said, Costco. Like, if you're in at Costco, like you've made it as a brand. So I think that growth mindset um, really enables me to think holistically about our business in different ways than other CEOs um because you're constantly thinking about what's what's the incremental win here is the incremental win innovation is the incremental win here um leveraging Jennifer Aniston so it's really about you know kind of how can i find that incremental lever that's going to propel my brand further than that of other brands um so i think that that's unique and uh, I, I do love numbers. Um, I was an econ major, and statistics was my favorite class in college, which I know sounds super nerdy. Um, but fundamentally, um, I think because in sales you're always in the number. Like, where am I at year to date? You know, where am I at month to date? Um, how much further do we have to go to goal? If I wanted to be at 120% of goal, what would that number be? Um, what am I chasing? What is size of prize? So I think. You know, here at Vital, we say size of prize all the time. And I think that that's, you know, a sales nomenclature that you wouldn't necessarily hear as much in um, other CPG brands. And we really make decisions based on, you know, like, is the size of prize worth it? Sometimes we turn down really good innovation. We've got a lot of suppliers that come and pitch us, hey, I've got this great new product and this is what it could do. And, you know, you think through the size of prize and what the market opportunity is right now. And I don't get that excited on a two hundred and fifty or a $500,000 incremental opportunity. I get excited about a $50 million incremental opportunity. Yep.
1: That's when those kickers
2: kick in, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and actually, that's how our salespeople at Vital get paid. It's very much a tech comp plan not a CPG comp plan, which tends to kind of reward at the end of the year based on how the company does. So it's an individual contributor comp plan that if you're above your quota for the um, quarter, you'll get accelerators. Mm-hmm.
1: It's so interesting. And I'm curious, as you have um, you know, been embedded in the Nestle ecosystem, mm-hmm. aside from just the sales that you're delivering, which are, are impressive, what are some of the other things that you have been able to contribute to the organizational thinking whether it's process or metrics or things like you you've already talked about.
2: Um well Nestle really relies on us a lot for um kind of our marketing purview. I would say that, you know, because it's the health science brand of Nestle. So it's um Garden of Life or Gain, Pure Encapsulations, um Puritan's Pride. Uh so it's more of a a health centric. So not just um, I love Nespresso Nespresso is a great brand, but Nespresso, Nesquik, um, that's over on kind of core Nestle. So when you think about health science, um, you know, it's somewhere between food and it's somewhere between pharma, um, but it's one step up from better than you, better for you. Um, so I think typically there hasn't been a strong marketing purview with Nestle health science. So there's a lot of, um, cross-collaboration, people coming in Nestle to us saying, hey, what do you think from a marketing point of view? And we're helping other brands with their marketing, ensuring that the brand hierarchy and the brand messaging really delivers with the consumer. Um, So I think that's an area that we can provide um, subject matter expertise. And I think there are other areas of Nestle where they provide subject matter expertise. Nestle is known for coffee and chocolate, so sourcing raw materials like the cocoa powder that we use in our, um, chocolate peptides, um, it was a huge win having Nestle participate in that sourcing just because of all of the purchase power worldwide that Nestle has that
1: we wouldn't have as a standalone vital proteins. Sure. And especially during the pandemic and supply chain issues, I'm sure that's coming in handy. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Yeah. That's great. I love to see the the give and take, right? Cuz you make each yeah. other stronger. That's fantastic. For sure. Well, let's move to our first lightning round, Tracy. So, this one is all about what you observe as a consumer. So, you're welcome to tap into brands you have worked with in the past, but we also like to hear how you interpret the world just as a consumer as well. So, what I'd love to do is hear what brand or campaign comes to mind when we think about a brand that really leads with empathy.
2: Um, These are all great questions, by the way. So, I would say, and I know other people have said this before. Um, the Dove campaign. And I'm not talking about the Dove campaign from like early 2000s. That was really groundbreaking, but there was one that was done um, just last year and it was about the reverse selfie. Um, So as I mentioned, I'm a mom of teenage girls and the reverse selfie um, starts off with this 13 year old girl that's very primped and she's got makeup and she's done you know, the face tune on Instagram, she's taken away the blemishes, she's made her eyelashes longer, you know, she's made her face the perfect proportion. And it reverses all the steps that it would take to go from that perfect selfie image into what she actually looks like. And when I think about what, you know, young teenage girls are facing, and I would say teenagers in general, but it is a little bit more relatable for the female, um, Um, female teenager. And, you know, 65% of them have, you know, body images, they have negative feelings about how they look with selfies. So I think that whole campaign was just really touching upon, you know, that need to be accepted, that need to feel beautiful in your own skin, and not have to, um, you know, go to such extremes of, photo editing and, you know, making your eyes look bigger and your lips look bigger. Um, it was just really touching for me as a mother to kind of reinforce this message with my girls.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's thank you for sharing that example, because uh, Dove does embody that, and that original campaign is a perfect example. But this example is relatable in the moment as well, right, to the challenges that our current teenagers face. And I have a 12-year-old daughter, so I hear you, and um, thank you for sharing that one. What about a brand or campaign that's been pioneering, has found a new way of, of doing business or a new path forward?
2: Um, I'm sure you probably have heard this one before too. Um, I just love Airbnb. I love their business model. Um, you know, founded on the heels, like every great mis- business model really comes out of a sense of chaos. And their chaos was the mortgage industry um, kind of downfall and the recession that happened in, you know, 2007, 2008. So the company was formed in 2009. And the early premise of it was, you know, Hey, we were laid off. We've got an air mattress in our living room. You know, should we see if anyone wants to sleep on the air mattress because hotels in San Francisco are very expensive. Um, so I love that, you know, kind of rule breaking, like this is something that hasn't been done before. This is something a little bit outside of the box. Would it work, right? Getting back to taking risks and failing forward. So I love that their whole business model was about taking risks and failing forward. Um, You know, the experiences, they've had a lot of really great marketing campaigns in the past few years. Um, I love the Outside In campaign, which is sometimes called the Pantone campaign, uh, which Outside In was the color of the year in 2017. Um, I'm a big fan of green. I love green. Uh, we do have an iconic blue canister, but um, my house is predominantly green. And um, this outside in was all about like having this Instagrammable moment while you're renting an Airbnb. Um, and I just think it was like very creative, and um, it was also very of the moment because in 2017, 2018. Everyone was Instagramming everything. So um, I, I love that they can continually think outside of the box from a business model perspective, adding experiences, but also from a marketing perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that you talked about, you know, being bred out of chaos, that yeah. those moments yeah. of friction or tension is where the best innovation happens. So yeah. great example. How about a brand or campaign that really stood behind a bold idea, even if not well understood or popular at the time?
2: Um, well, I think any female entrepreneur is going to say Sarah Blakely and Spanx, um, you know, I love what she did back, you know, 20 some years ago. And we've all faced that we've all faced like the fear of wearing white slacks and, you know, do I have lines? Do I not have lines? How does my butt look? Um, you know, so I think that she really, again, thought outside of the box, um, you know. Was extremely curious with a potential solution to her own problem, and I think it was it was certainly bold at the time. I mean, I, I think she was in her twenties and selling um, fax machines again, a sales background, um, hustling on the street selling fax machines door to door. So I love that uh, you know she really had a bold approach to you know here's a problem that I'm facing, here's how I'm going to solve it. And you know, even like the initial pitches to um Nordstrom and Neiman Marcus were, um, we're really out of, you know, this is how I feel as a consumer.
1: And I think your consumers are gonna feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And as you're describing her, how much you wanna bet her first job was a waitress? Probably. I bet. <laughs> there seem to be some commonalities.
0: Yeah.
1: How about a brand or campaign that sees opportunities where others force compromise?
2: This one, I would say Sephora had a campaign that was all about, so it was for Pride Month. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago, and it was We All Belong. And, um, you know, this was really before I think um, the trans community and the LGBTQ community came together and recognized that women are not the only ones that buy makeup. Um, there's a lot of other people out there that would like to buy makeup. Um, but they would like to feel safe buying makeup. And it really is just such a beautiful campaign that is all about inclusivity. It's all about, you know, pursuing your own beauty. And um, it just like emotionally really hits the mark for me. And for Sephora to kind of understand that, like, how can we make beauty products, the products that we sell in our stores, more universal for someone other than me as, you know, a 50 year old suburban mom consumer, um, I think was really, um, was really on point for the time.
1: I also love their campaign where, or their in-store tactic, where they have different color baskets for if you want someone to approach you and help you, or if you just want to be left alone. I love that too, because it speaks to not just, you know, how people were feeling shopping during the pandemic, but just how we are as humans and how we want to be shopping. So are we having a good day? Are we having a bad day? Right. right? Do
2: we have a baseball cap on and do we just want to go in there and get mascara? Right. Exactly. I also think Sephora has the best loyalty program in in any industry. Um, So they're leveling, um, you know, the ability to get all of these free samples. Um, I think they just really do it right. Um, And they were doing e-com. I I think there's a lot of brands that do e-com right now. Um, But like five, six, seven years ago, they were doing e-com right then, um, before the pandemic, which I think really speaks to how they're constantly trying to evolve and service that
1: consumer. Mm -hmm. We'll have to find a leader there to interview. That sounds like they give great point of view. Yeah. Okay. We're down to our spill your guts round. This is all about you as a person. So you just be you and it's going to be a good time. Um, What's the first brand you remember as a child? I grew up in Michigan. Uh,
2: I would have to go with Kellogg's rice krispies. Mm -hmm. Lots of nostalgia there. Is it still in your, in your household these days? It is not, it's not that healthy. (laughs) Um, but but it it reminds me of childhood because that was something
1: I ate every morning. Mm -hmm. That's great. What book or movie best represents your career journey?
2: This was kind of a hard one. Um, I'm going to go with Aaron Brockovich. Um, I think the core of who she was, um, single mom, just like me, um, always challenging the status quo. I think I've gotten to the point where I am in my career because challenging the status quo is very core to who I am. Um, I think she was also very curious and she was seeking out solutions that maybe not, that weren't completely apparent right in front of her. Yeah. Um, so that curiosity really um, you know, drove the, the success she had against pg and
1: mm-hmm. Great example. Yeah. How would you describe your job to a child?
2: Mm. Um, so twofold. So first and foremost, I help my teams grow to become better leaders and teachers. And second, and the second piece of it is um, I create products that help people um, feel and look better. I
1: love that you led with your people. That is so cool. I'm going to borrow that if that's okay. (laughs) No, go ahead. (laughs) What's one piece of advice you would give a business leader that is trying to convey some of these gutsy characteristics?
2: Don't be afraid to take risks. Uh, If you're really going to succeed as an entrepreneur, you have to be courageous and you have to not be afraid to fail. And failure can be a catalyst for growth. And I think if you use failure and adversity wisely, um, you'll be wildly successful. Great advice. Yeah. What is the most used emoji on your phone? Um, I looked it up this morning, a blue heart. Okay. So vital blue. So uh, uh, whenever we like something internally off Slack, uh, we use a blue heart. Uh-huh. And uh, I think it kind of goes back to, you know, tapping into that empathy and um while still being on brand, because we're a blue brand.
1: That's so cool. I love that. And finally, we have a Gutsy Brands playlist, which is epic. If you haven't listened to it, please do. Um, What song would you add to it?
2: Good as hell, Lizzo. Come
0: now, come dry your eyes. You know you a star, you can touch the sky. I know that is it's hard, but you have to try. If you need advice, let me simplify.
1: There you go. <laughs> That's a good way to close it out. I have genuinely enjoyed this conversation, Tracy. I learned so much. You reinforce uh, the reason I think you're such a bright light. So thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for owning this incredible brand that does change lives out there um, and making it fun along the way. So thank you for being well, here. It was such an honor for me. So thank you.
0: That one was a fun one for me. I am a huge fan of Vital Proteins products, in particular, the original blue canister, the collagen peptides, and I'm also a big fan of Jennifer Aniston.
1: Well, and that original blue has an iconic color to it, as Tracy talked about. And once again, I feel like I fangirled. Em, did it show?
0: No, you played it totally cool.
1: Okay, that's good, because I really do appreciate... Tracy's business mind and her leadership spirit so much. It was kind of
0: tough to end this interview, but uh, I learned a lot. Yeah. And she had a lot of wisdom to share in that short amount of time. It sounds like she has a real love and passion for her work and her people. So I'm excited to get into today's takeaways. So hit me
1: with them. Okay. So usually we start with empathy first. And I think that makes sense here because when you think about the core of Vital Proteins, It is a product that is changing people's lives. And leaders like Tracy and her founder and even Jennifer Aniston, how they lead the brand is grounded in their experiences as a human, as a consumer. And I think there's some real power to that. Um, You know, Tracy talked about recovering from her injury and regaining mobility and what that means, right? To be a person who expects to be able to raise their shoulders and put their bag in the you know, overhead compartment. I mean, these are things we take for granted, but when you're, you're suffering from, from something where you don't have that mobility, this product really can impact your life. And, you know, the founder, uh, using it for athletic performance, um, the, the guy that, you know, is in the band and also a software developer and a gamer and and really had some carpal tunnel situations, even how Jennifer Aniston uses it for functional wellness. I think it's such strong articulation of a product that is grounded in empathy and helping humans live lives the way they want to.
0: I loved that story, especially how Tracy was like, and then I lifted up my arm and was like, oh, there's no pain. I mean, what a great way to learn about how a product works.
1: And in terms of pioneering new paths, you know, those who are less familiar with the CPG industry and with retail distribution It's such a massive accomplishment to create a new category. And so for Tracy to tell the story about, you know, thinking about the the target buyer and, hey, we can pitch OTC, but we should really be in the beauty section. And then turning that into what she called the pitch of their lives, which I loved, you know, to paint the picture of why this fits the target guest. It's such a big deal to be able to create a new category in distribution in that way.
0: As a big time target consumer, I mean big time, it's also really interesting to hear this side of the story because I can remember the first time I saw that product on the shelf and I must have picked it up three or four times before I actually bought it because I just didn't really understand how it worked. I had heard of people ingesting collagen, but I wanted to look into it myself. And then, I mean, once you start using it, you don't want to stop using it. It's really great.
1: And and that's what they learned, right? That they had to educate at shelf because it was such a new concept. And that's a major feat for what Tracy described as a unicorn brand, but that's how you become a unicorn brand is you capitalize on the momentum on consumers learning about this and embedding it in their lives. So just such a tremendous testament to the product, but also the talent surrounding how that product went to market. So such a big deal, creating a new category, ingestible Beauty. The other thing I really liked kind of diving into was how Tracy's tech background impacted how she thought about and how they thought about their go to market strategy. You know, they thought of themselves as a digital marketing company that happened to sell CPG products. And when you do that, you come at things very differently, not only with how you sell, but how you engage with the community. Uh, So the way that they use social, the way that they used influencers. And, you know, she talked a lot about how Jennifer Anderson became such a is such a core part of the brand. But uh, I think coming at it from a tech background enabled them to do things really differently. And part of that was, you know, I love the their mantras. We sprint, which I I understand why they backed away from that <laughs> one because that's stressful, just even in that that phrase. Uh, but into this idea of fail forward, which has such a tech industry vibe, and I love how bringing that perspective to CPG. Can allow you to look at new ways to grow. And I'm sure it's changing the way Nestle thinks about innovation and marketing. And then finally, Tracy as a leader. Oh my gosh, so many lessons to learn there. Um, The importance of females in the workplace. I loved how she talked about how when she started in corporate America, you know, it was a very different time and she was looked at very differently. And, you know, coming at the female contribution to leadership, maybe from two angles. One is this idea. That goes back to the Mad Men example of, hey, you're trying to sell a lipstick. You should probably ask Peggy, right? So you should have more female representation in industries where women are making the majority of purchase decisions. It sounds like a no-brainer. We continue to make progress, but that is one reason that we should have more females in leadership. Absolutely. Absolutely. yeah, and the other is this this whole idea of being an authentic leader. And I'm not saying that males can't be authentic leaders; plenty of them are. But I think that females bring a different perspective. They um, tend to bring greater empathy, greater uh, vulnerability to their leadership. And as Tracy mentioned, this is what people are craving right now. They need leaders who are accessible, who are authentic. So I just love the fact that Tracy's creating space for female leadership in her company and in in her environment. You know, she talked about creating space for others. I just, I found that so inspiring. And I also really appreciate how vulnerable Tracy was when she talked about her path to CEO and how, you know, she still gets imposter syndrome. And I love hearing leaders say that because everyone does. And the fact that there's no playbook for CEO, you know, she wasn't handed this, this textbook and here's how you go do it. So I just found so much of, of how she came to be as a leader, to be grounded in what she probably is pretty instinctually as a person, but also just as a very capable and expert business person who also happened to start in sales. And you know, that I always love, love that part of, of leadership when we hear it.
0: I found it really refreshing to hear her mention that she didn't have a playbook. I think I always have this perception that by the time you're a CEO, you know exactly what you're doing. And she was so open about it being kind of learn as you go, which I, I just, I thought that was so transparent and real of her. And I appreciated that.
1: And the other thing that was really resonant with me is the brilliant way the power of and really comes to life um, through what Tracy described. You know, Vital Proteins now being part of Nestle Health Sciences division. As Tracy said, that division was really craving this comprehensive approach to marketing that Vital Proteins has. And so the ability for Tracy and her team to give the Nestle Health Sciences team, that appreciation for empathy, a new way to look at innovation, keeping consumers at the core, like that's what they could bring to the table. And Nestle can give Vital Proteins this massive opportunity with access to supply chain, relationships with, with retailers. It's just a great illustration of the magic that can happen when you combine two very different ecosystems and maximize the power of both. Yeah, overall, this was a conversation I was really looking forward to, and it absolutely met my expectations, surpassed my expectations. She shared so much of herself, and um, you know how she inspires others, how she leads an incredible brand, um, and so I think the listeners will really enjoy this one. Nice.
0: Thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Gutsiest Brands podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss our next episode. If you like what you're hearing, please consider sharing our episode with a friend and leaving us a five-star review. And don't forget to check out the Gutsiest Brands Spotify list. See you next time.